these companies will really start to take talent seriously. Because when those big boys come in, so to speak, it's going to be about who's on your team. It's going to be about the talent. And it's going to be about what's in the IP that those people on your team have. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to an episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields. With me, as always, is Kellen Finney. This week, we got a very special guest, Kamesh, the cannabis industry career coach. Kamesh, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm glad to be here. I am already laughing a lot, which is my favorite thing to do, especially because I work in the cannabis industry. And if you don't have a sense of humor, you will not be here long. So uh, very, very glad uh, to be to be joining you today. Excited to have you. And uh, as Kamesh alluded to, Kellen may have been trying to prime our guests here to try to push her towards a little East Coast, West Coast battle. But Kellen, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. And I was just trying to find if... Kamesh has a special place in her heart for the West Coast. Yeah, I um, do. I do. We have a, a West a, Coast, East Coast battle. Kind of a, I totally so do. And so Manhattan Beach. Manhattan Beach has a special place in my heart because that is the that is the the home of uh, where the office for Flower Hire lives, and Flower Hire is a part of my family, my work family, where I was for many many years. And so I had the great pleasure of spending some time in Manhattan Beach, which for which for a Philly girl is like pretty much like what like it's it's paradise um and so yes many friends and cannabis uh colleagues in norcal and socal so yes lots of love lots of love but yeah but also have been working in professional cannabis for five years and have done so out of my home office in philadelphia so it's sort of an interesting kind of testament to the sort of the, the national nature of the industry i think I just want to confirm a few things before uh, on the record. That was A, a leading question by you, Kellen. And B, <laughs> Kamesh is from Philly and is in Philly, which would make her East Coast. It's true. So for our listeners, I'm really about you. Can you give a little background about yourself and how you got into the cannabis space? Yeah, sure. So I have been in the cannabis industry, my friends now coming up on six years, believe it or not. Um, And I've been the last five of those years I've spent in the areas of talent acquisition and human capital management, which for those of us who are uh, not speaking corporate ease is really just means I'm a I'm a recruiter. And uh, I have, like many people, fallen in love with this industry. I mean, I I came in for uh, for I, I like to talk about passion, purpose and profit as being kind of the the things that I think folks who succeed in this industry have at the center. But I came into it because like most folks, I was totally blown away by the potential to heal people uh, with a holistic medicine and also, you know, mind boggled by, you know, what we were taught in the war on drugs and what it was like to be a child in the eighties and, and, and be told one thing and then to learn, Oh my God, you know, cannabis is a medicine. Like, just you know, blew my mind and my my whole my whole you know, person wide open. And then, like most folks, sort of found my niche and just really fell in love with the the people in this industry. Um, and so that's really been kind of what I've been doing. And like I just said to Brian, he said, "How are you?" I'm like, "I don't know. I don't know what day it is. I don't know what season it is. I just know that I work in cannabis." <laughs> How much has it changed since the early days, Karen? So you know, the thing is, as you know, Cal, like early days is different for everybody, right? So like some people, early days is like pre-Prop 215, right? For California people, like that's way back. For me, like for me, early days with 2018 and for a Philly girl, 
I was a pioneer. I was, it was early. Like nobody was talking about it. We, I think Pennsylvania's medical market opened in 2016, but still people in Pennsylvania, like me, myself, even when I started to learn about it in 2017, didn't know we had legal dispensaries. You know, that's how, as you know, you know, the education and the the sort of the ability to, to market and, and let people know what's really going on was nominal. And so I would say from that time, 2018 to 2024, like night and day. I mean, I now people, I have, you know, people, family members, friends calling me, telling me about cannabis, what's going on in the cannabis industry? How do I get into the cannabis industry? I want some weed. Do you sell it? Um <laughs> You know, like, whereas when I started and I would go out and I would tell people what I was doing, you know, they literally still were sort of like, you know, like jaws on the floor, kind of like, Shh, keep it down. Like, what do you mean? So it's been it's been a super big sea change on the East Coast, for sure. I think that's really well described because I think sometimes people forget that, like, the the wave has happened in pockets. And, and for someone like myself here in New York. The industry is still very, very new. People are still just getting started. And whether or not we legalized last year or this year, it's hard to really tell the difference because we're still figuring it out as we go. But I think what you described is perfect. And I want to talk about the transition, right? When you first got in the industry, you were doing kind of the executive recruiting, leadership. I like want to do the transition on how that became industry coaching. Sure. So over the years of, of, so I'll give you a little bit of background on on Flower Hire and the work that we did there. So Flower Hire is one of the leading executive search firms in cannabis. And we, our work there was focused exclusively on six-figure cannabis jobs nationally. So what that means is, I say six figures a little bit with an asterisk, just because there are some roles, like let's say a GM for a dispensary. At you know, depending on what market you're in, those people can be can be paid anywhere from like sort of seventy-five k up to like, I've seen people now in the New York market making, you know, high, high ones, low twos for that position. And so when we talk about six figure, we really talk about like leadership, strategic hires who are going to move up the corporate ladder, so to speak. Right. And so our hiring was all focused on that manager, director, VP and C-level roles in cannabis for licensed operators. So like our work was for big MSOs, single state operators, and some very well-funded ancillary companies as well, like a Hawthorne uh, gardening uh, side of the, and you know, the lights companies, all the all, all the folks that still have booths at MJ BizCon, those companies, <laughs> those companies at one point had, believe it or not, they had money to pay recruiters. And we, we did their recruiting and we built their teams. And so, you know, as a team, David Belsky founded Flower Hire in 2017, and I joined on in 2020. And so at this point, you know, that firm. And, and as of 2020, when I, I left, uh, 2023, when I left Flower Hire, we'd made over a thousand strategic hires into the industry at that uh, manager, director, VP, and C level. And so, um, you know, and for me personally, I've placed over a hundred of those people. So what I learned through that process was just how much people in cannabis needed to understand about what it meant to work in cannabis. <laughs> like people really, cause there's nobody to guide them. Right. Like there's there. So anyway, I'm, I'm going on a monologue here, but like, <laughs> no, uh, nobody knows. Like my inbox was just flooded. Like my inbox, literally you guys was bananas, banana, bananas. Kamesh, can you look at my resume? Kamesh, how much should I get paid for this position? Kamesh, 
uh, I got turned down by this position. Why, why, I've emailed them 25 times. They keep ignoring me. Why? I'm perfect for the role. Like, and I'm kind of being like playful, but these are really legitimate questions. Like they were really legitimate questions and they deserved really legitimate answers. But because we're such a young and nascent industry, we didn't really have the answers for them. You know, we were really like, and so what I talk about with people is that the, the sort of the sort of process we went through at Flower Hire was really defining what it means to be a professional cannabis executive and entrepreneur. Like, what does that look like? What does that mean? What kind of skills do you need? Like, what kind of relationships? What does a cannabis career look like? What's the arc of a cannabis career, right? If you start in a retail role as a bud tender, as many people do, or you start as a, a lab tech, or you start as maybe you're even part, you know, part-time uh, harvest, right? You're just doing the seasonal stuff. How do you grow if you want to be a head grower? What's that career trajectory look like, right? And and what? How do you go from point to point? Um, and so I just became really fascinated with that process. Um, and so in uh, in May of this year, I decided that this work, this professional development work of helping folks move from place to place in their cannabis career, deserved really its own own service line. And I launched Kmesh Can, where I do career coaching for cannabis executives. Can you give us an example? Because if you're looking to place an individual in the cannabis industry, and I was, exactly as you alluded to, it's very different and unique. If there's certain skills that you're looking for that are applicable, because as we all know here, the cannabis industry is very different. And some of the necessary skill sets in order to be successful are kind of dependent on one, the state, and two, the organization and the tools around them. So was it certain skills that you looked for in order to find kind of that fit for the cannabis industry? I think more about personality and um, the nature of people more than I do about transferable skills. Like transferable skills are obviously very important. And like the industry is so vast that honestly, any skill set I can, I can tell you where you're going to fit in, like whether it's on the license side, whether it's on the ancillary side, like we're a huge billion dollar industry. So like everybody's welcome because we need all the different minds in the room to make it work. Right. So like, I don't think of it as much as skill sets, Brian, but I think of it in terms of what I call and what we used to call it flower hire. David and I would talk about this thing called cannabis DNA. Right. And what I think of that is it's a, it's a, a personality type and it's a perspective. And, and, and some of the qualities of cannabis DNA are scrappiness, right? Willingness to learn on your feet, being resourceful, being creative, having a glass half full perspective on things. <laughs> uh, we talk about building in quicksand a lot. <laughs> like you really got to be able to jump in there and build the whole thing. It's going to fall apart because the ocean's going to come up and wash over it, right? Right? It's compliance, it's regulatory, it's funding falling out. It's all the things. Um, so that's going to come, it's going to wash it all away. And then you've got to get back in there and rebuild with the same type of veracity and excitement and enthusiasm that you did the last time, <laughs> right? And so I really talk about, about cannabis DNA as being a foundational piece of it. And when people call me on the phone, Brian, and they, I, they do, that's the first thing that we start to talk about. I'm like, you think you've got these things and why or why not? And, you know, have you done a personality test in a while? If maybe you think, like I'll hear sometimes from like, 
accountants from like the big four who are like, I want to come over into cannabis. And now mind you, I have hired controllers and CFOs and heads of F- and FP&A folks, uh, but not directly from the big four because they need to have had some startup experience. They need to have had some scrappy experience on top of that big four experience in order to do well in an industry, right? We're not taking people right out of <laughs> out of big, big five, big six, big eight, whatever the hell it is now, big whatever accounting firms and bring them right over to this, this industry because of how tenuous and fast paced and how, um, you know, emerging it is. So in the early days, you were kind of doing a lot of the screening surveys, almost like a 23andMe for this cannabis DNA, correct? Um, no, I wasn't. We didn't do that. We just hired people, Kellen. We oh. just hired them. We were like, if you have this transferable skills, you should get into this job. But then that's what we learned over the years was that the people, even if they had amazing skills, like, for example, I don't know, head of cultivation. If you meet a guy or a gal or a they who has worked at <laughs> or they or them, or I'm just trying to be politically correct for everyone's purposes. Do not cancel us. So cute. So cute. I'm so cute. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you uh, see like somebody for, who was running operations for a Driscoll Strawberries, okay? Amazing operational leader, right? SOPs, KPIs, maybe they have Lean Six Sigma. Maybe they you know, have all sorts of other uh, credentials that make, make you look at them and go, wow, we're going to open up a big new grow. This is our, our person. And we would, we, at the beginning, we would bring those people over and we would hire them into cannabis. And then guess what would happen? You know, (laughs) right? Like three, four, five, six, 12 months later, they're gone. They're gone because they don't have that cannabis DNA. And so that's where, that's where we developed this concept and that, and then we start a couple of years in, that's when we started to enter that type of uh, behavioral questioning into our interviews with people. And before we would even, obviously first you look at their resume and go, okay, does this person know what they're doing? But transferable skills. But then we would start start in with like, have you ever worked in a hyper growth startup environment before? If you haven't, have you ever built anything from scratch inside your corporate structure where it was just you and maybe another person and a super lean budget? <laughs> did you ever do that? And how did that feel? You know, um, and just really getting a sense for that because I always say, if you're an executive and you have not changed your own printer ink in the last three years, you are not a fit for cannabis. <laughs> Right. And I don't care how much you love the plants. I want you to love the plant. If you're an executive and you are, you know, successful and you have clout, I want you to love the plant. I want you to buy all the stuff. I want you to share it at your dinner parties. I want you to help destigmatize. I want you to tell, you know, your friends who sit the women who whine. I want you to tell them that they should weed. They should be women who weed instead of women who whine because it's better for them and it's safer for them and it's healthier in so many ways. But I don't want you to work in the industry at the executive level right now because that we we just need people who are cut from a little bit of a different cloth. You know, we need startup people. We need innovative people. You know, I like to say cannabis needs leaders, right? So we need people who are fast on their feet. We need people who are who know themselves, who want to be honest about what they're good at and what they're not good at, where they can grow. So self-awareness is a really big quality. Um, that I look for in people. And then we also need people who know their values. This is a very 
very complex and confusing space. There is a lot of everything, you know, there is a, because of where we came in the black and gray markets, because of what we're dealing with, with social equity and justice, like there's just so much to contend with here that I, I really also look for people who have, have strong values um, of some kind. And it can be that they just want to make money. Okay. Okay. Um, it's not the best. <laughs> I love for, to look for people who um, actually are connected to the healing power of the plant or they're connected to the power of the movement and what it will do in terms of wealth regeneration for communities of color. Or maybe even that you're just like, I saw this heal someone I love and I want to do something that matters in my life. And so I want to be in this. All of those are great reasons. But just, you know, it seems interesting. It seems fun. You know, everyone's talking about it. Those those aren't great. Those aren't great reasons. I'm, I'm really glad you shared that because I caught myself recently having a conversation with someone who was very eager to enter the industry. And I caught myself not wanting to be like that negative Nancy telling them like, I don't think you're going to make it. But there was a part of me that just felt like they were approaching an obstacle. They just weren't going to be able to overcome, right? You can have all these skills. You can have a really good education. But if you don't have that type of personality necessary in order to pick yourself up every single day and overcome some of these obstacles that you just can't foresee, it's really hard to articulate to people. And you don't want to burst their dream because everyone sees this as this opportunity of a lifetime to kind of hop in and all these wide-eyed. And that's the challenge I think we're at. So that's why I bring in the cannabis DNA conversation. And one of the first things I ask people to do is to literally take a personality test, like take a disc profile, take a, you know, there's a bunch of different, you can do disc, you can do uh, Myers-Briggs, you can do like strength finders, like just jump on and take a personality because it'll tell you. What are you, you looking are, for in those tests? Yeah, that's I'm, a good question. Yeah, I'm looking like, for- how do, we, how do we score well? No. <laughs> so, so, Kellen, did, Kellen did well at school as you could tell <laughs> so I mean obviously part of it is like are you open for the adventure you have to be somebody who who is in it for the journey right people who are very like um, and there are different personalities some personalities are like I do everything in a very specific way to reach a certain goal and that goal is paramount to me if you are that kind of person you are not going to do well in this industry because nobody knows where it's going. There are no clear, I mean, you you could take this about life in general right now or society. Like we could, we could make this a big macro conversation, but certainly inside cannabis, like you are, we literally, you know, we talk about time in cannabis is so weird, right? Like, like we talk about cannabis dog years, which is that every year feels like seven. Okay. So there's that. And no one knows how to plan more than one quarter in advance. <laughs> Right. And and so time is like this really trippy thing in cannabis. And so you have to have a personality that can hold both of those truths. Wow. Cannabis takes feels like it takes a long time, like changes so quickly. It's so crazy. The you know, regulatory environment changing all the time. The funding is falling out and coming back in in waves. And I don't know what's going on to be able to live with that. Brian, like you were saying, like to be able to come every day. I like each of us here have for several years now and just keep showing up, keep bringing our best selves, keep, 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 keep. Not everybody has the, so that's what I look for in those tests. Like, are you that kind of person? And then if you're not, I just say like, join normal, like give, you know, like support your, like support, go to your dispensaries, buy product, 
you know, share with your friends and family, but don't invest. Oh my gosh, invest. (laughs) If you're successful and you're a banker or you're in real estate or whatever, like find a founder who seems smart and has a pretty good deck and, and, you know, and, and, you know, has some numbers that seem to make sense, you know, get involved that way. When did you decide to start making the transition from recruiting and hiring to kind of coaching? And I imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, that it was most likely you place some individuals uh, in some positions within companies and then the relationship kept building and you were like, hey, maybe I should keep giving you advice. Like kind of talk us through that whole like dynamic change and the shift that you've, you've undergone. Oh, totally. It was just, it was really just like my people calling me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and just saying like, can you help me? I need more help. And they did need more help. Like, that's what I'm saying. It wasn't like they were being overly needy. In every other industry, we have career coaches and people who focus on professional development and leadership development. Like, this is a huge industry, as you mentioned uh, to me, Bill Campbell, uh, before we uh, started, right, who wrote The Trillion Dollar Coach, right? So, like, there are coaches in every major vertical, and especially in startup, it's super super important um, that we have leadership development to help people figure out what they're doing and how to do it better. And so it made sense that people were would come back to me. I would place them and then they would maybe get laid off because like that's a big thing that happens, as you know, and like so much acquisition and 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 layoffs. And they come back to me and say, hey, Kamesh, I'm back on the market. Like, can you look at my resume? Can we talk about like what roles you think I might be good for? Um, and and I just realized like like people need more than 15 minutes of your time to be able to do that work, right? Especially because there is no roadmap. It it is a little unclear um, about how people move up and move over because we don't have standardization in the industry. So our org charts all look different, right? Even the major MSOs, their org charts all look completely different based on where their asset footprint is, based on their who founded them. You know this, <laughs> Right. So they don't even have org charts. They don't even have org charts. Some of them don't even have have people running HR. Right. I mean, they don't. So right. So let alone let alone an org chart. And so that makes it hard. Like last year at Flower Hire, we placed like a hundred different job titles. Okay. So is that because there are a hundred different people doing a hundred different things? No, that's because there's no standardization yet in the industry. So people are called different things. So because of that. People would start to call me and just say, hey, K-Mesh, can we talk tonight? Can we talk over the weekend? Like, I just need some help, you know, getting my, telling my story. I have, I have a part of what I talk about is like that everyone has a cannabis leadership story. And what it means is why you came into the industry, um, what you accomplished in the industry so far, what your skill sets are, what your experiences have been, like, again, things you've accomplished that you want to put your name on, and then like how you see yourself serving the industry moving forward. Right. And and so and I ask and I ask and I work with my clients to develop a cannabis leadership story because this industry is moving so quickly. As you know, we get put on calls with so many different people all the time, constantly phones ringing, texts, intros. Can you talk to her? Can you talk to him? Our Zooms are going crazy. You only have a few minutes to make a strong impression on people. And so I say even more important than sending them a resume, even more important than sharing your LinkedIn is being able to articulate your cannabis leadership story in a short amount of time, right? 
where to start, why to start, what to do, what are you going to do then? <laughs> what are you going to do next? <laughs> right? Um, and so that was people just asking me to help them do that. And I got so hooked by it. And I was just like, this is so great because because people in cannabis are awesome. People who are, and people who are still in cannabis are really awesome because they have seen things, you know, they have seen things, they have experienced, all of us have experienced our share of disappointments and, and heartaches and heartbreaks and projects we thought we were going to take off that didn't take off and opportunities that we invested a lot of time and energy and money into, right? We're all just like, if you can see us all right now, we're all just like, we have like our hands in prayer, like just, just honoring, right? The, the losses that we've all experienced. And if you're still here, to me, that's leadership, right? That's resilience, and that's what the industry needs is people who are willing to sort of take it on the chin as we have and keep coming back with a renewed sense of focus and purpose. And so once people started to ask me, you know, let's meet tonight, let's meet over the weekend. And I started to realize, like, I'm not sleeping <laughs> or eating. because, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like I'm just recruiting all day and then like coaching on all my, you know, my off nights. I realized maybe maybe I should do this full time. I just want to highlight a few of the things you say, because I, I think it's really so important to, to go back to it. Like everyone here is entrepreneurs and they're building things that there is no roadmap. And as you described perfectly, is that each company, each state operates completely differently so that you may be semi successful in one role and then look to transition. And it's a complete non fit, just maybe the culture. The, yeah. the positioning, the role, the expectations, all of those things are kind of the unknown variables as we all take on this beautiful journey of, of unknowns, which is the cannabis industry. So for you, how important is it for you to kind of get an understanding of the inner workings of a company from a cultural standpoint to know that this person needs this type of personality or skills to be successful? That's such a good question and, and a nuanced one, right? Because the challenge is that, especially now, is like, these companies don't look great. You know, from a fundamentals perspective, they don't look great. From a PR perspective, they don't look great. And like, and I I can only speak this way because I'm working for myself. <laughs> True. Uh, you know, and and I also, but I also say this, I hope, because like, and I reason I came on this podcast too is because like we're industry insiders. I feel like we can talk about the industry in a, in a way that like I wouldn't talk about it to folks who are not, you know, like, and what I mean is I see myself as um as an advocate for this industry when I'm speaking to people who don't understand the industry. But when I talk to people who've been inside the industry, and I really, and I say this to founders all the time, there's a level of candor that I think is very important right now with executives um, and even your folks like yourself, service providers, professional service providers, like being candid with people about where your company is at in terms of its fiscal health and also its cultural health. Because toxicity in this industry is a problem. And I think that the smart folks who are really looking forward and, and learning from the past are ready to kind of reckon with that a little bit and say, hey, you know what? Look, like, it's not great. You know, things aren't great here, but we're working on it. And here's how we're working on it. And here's the things we're putting in place for 2024 that would make this a place that you would want to come work, right? And so what I kind of tell my clients is, do your homework, you know, do your research, research the companies. Don't just look at a job listing and throw your hat in the ring and then run after it. Right. Because you, because you might, you might go from the frying pan into the fire. Right. You, so I think like 
culture fit is really important. There are, you know, lots of sort of small single state operators with like maybe three or four locations in some of these newer emerging markets, like in Maryland and also New Jersey. Those are two markets that are a good example where like, because of the where the licensure is, it used to be all MSOs. Now these like licensees, new licensees are popping up. Some of them have one location, some have multiple. Those are great places for people to find new opportunity um, and to get involved in it and, and be able to shape culture a little bit, right? It's only a couple founders. They've only got like 20, 30, 40 people on the team. This is a great time to join an organization and help grow with it. So did that answer your question? I hope I didn't like sidestep it. I wasn't trying to. I just. I think, yeah, I think there wasn't a, there's not a clear answer, right? Everyone operates completely differently, but given like the nuances of the intricacies of how all of them work, it's important to understand that the personality fits because some people, when they attack a job, they immediately think, oh, I can do X, Y, and Z. But the problem is the team doesn't have resources or tools necessary to help you do that. And your job description is probably going to be X, Y, and Z, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, that maybe you're like, hey, I'm a marketer, but I'm doing fun finance stuff. And that's because welcome to cannabis. There's zero based budgeting. You got to fight for every dollar you want. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think that's something that people, they, they still do this. where like, they've come out of a company where there's a bunch of problems and issues and challenges, which like there are in all cannabis companies, even the ones that are really good. And like, we all have issues and challenges because we're startup and we're really lean and like, who doesn't have problems? But then what they do when they go to do a job search is that like, they they fantasize what that new company is going to be. And they think that like, if they just get that job at that new company, and I'm like, friend, it's still cannabis. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, do you think that that company doesn't have any of the same problems that your last company? Because these are systemic issues, right? And I'm, you know, I'm being like flip because you have to be, I think, you know, in order to to keep it moving. But like, these are systemic issues. These are not, it's not just one company. It's not just one CEO. It's not just one bad apple. Like we have problems in the industry that are, most of them uh, beset on us because of federal inaction, in my particular opinion. And don't let me, I don't want to be too like black and white here. And I don't necessarily want to get into the federal legality conversation. <laughs> but, but meaning like, will it all be solved? Like, no, no, I am not saying that by any stretch, but I am saying that I do think a lot of the problems we're in now in, you know, what are we in year nine, 10 in some of our older markets? We're in year three, four, five, and six in some of our newer markets. I do believe that the the, the problems of like the last 12 to 24 months are really a result of, of federal inaction. And so because of that, I just want candidates to be eyes wide open, right? I want them to be eyes wide open and I want them to be, so I want them to be as selective about choosing their new places they want to work like as as the company is about choosing the right people to work for them. Like it really has to be, um, especially at the executive level, right? I'm not talking about hourly roles here. Um, I'm talking about leadership strategy roles. There has to be an alignment of vision. There has to be an alignment. And like I said, to your point about, I'm going to come in and I'm going to do all these things. Well, not if there's no budget and not if there's rats in the lab. You know what I mean? And so, so like what I say is like, and I say this to operators too, if you have rats in the lab, so to speak, right? 
don't let it be the last onsite interview that your ops leader finds out. What do you mean by rats in the lab? I mean, like, literally, if you have vermin in your lab. <laughs> or metaphorically. That's, if you I, have I was wondering if he was if it was one or the other. I mean, I would say either of those things. Right. If they're and everybody has if you want to use the like, if 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 I'm my mom, it's like the skeletons in the closet, like whatever. Right. Like the 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 stuff that you don't want people to know. Well, guess what? They're going to find out anyway if they're on on your leadership team. So you 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 are well served to at least share some of those things. I'm not saying that you've got to pull out every tax return and every PL for the last several years. I'm not saying that. And that would not, even with NDAs and, and what have you being what they are, I'm not saying that. There, there obviously needs to be privacy and protection for, for founders and 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 C-level people with the businesses they, they're running. But in terms of just like building, you know, relationship between an employer and a and a, and a team leader at that strategic level, just to have a candor you know, hey, last year was really challenging. Here's what had to happen. We had to let go X number of people. We had to redo a lot of, you know, moving around of our finances and we had to let go of this division or whatever. But like, again, here's where we are now. Here's what we're doing to make it better and move forward. And I'm asking or I'm instructing my clients to ask those questions in interviews, right? Who's on your leadership team? Where's your funding come from? What's your turnover rate been like? You know, what is the culture like, good, bad, or other? You know, how do you how do you seek to make that better, you know, in the coming years? Because I think we're all going to make not to get too kumbaya here, but like we're by holding each other accountable, we're going to make the industry better. We're going to make the industry better. That's that's what I believe. I like the kumbaya. Is there a, a common like issue that is kind of like standard, regardless of the role that you have to help individuals through um, in terms of like issues that come up in cannabis. Right now, there's two, two big issues. I love this question. So two big issues. The one big issue is burnout. That's like a big, big with a capital B burnout. And the problem is that some people, Kellen, don't know that they're burned out. And that's an issue because you're not really a value in the way you're like smiling. Like, is that me? Is she talking about me? <laughs> You're like, did Kamosh just diagnose me? I was like, is this a like, therapy session for me? Am I causing this? Is this an intervention? <laughs> this is too close. Too close to home. Is this an intervention? Thanks, thanks so much for coming, Kamosh. Helen, what did you do? <laughs> this wasn't a podcast. This was actually a therapy session. <laughs> it's an intervention. I mean, coaching Surprise. and therapy? Coaching and therapy. Very close. Very close. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fine line. And I do... <laughs> In my in my contract, it's like I'm not a therapist, so don't sue me. <laughs> but no, right? So knowing what and it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to stop doing what you're doing, right? Like burnout doesn't mean not everybody needs to take a six month or a year sabbatical if you're in burnout. Although there are some executives in cannabis who have done it, and it is brilliant because when they come back on LinkedIn after having take six, you're like, whoa, different person, like. So I do say if you are in a financial position where you can do that, wonderful, do it, do it, do it, do it, because we don't want to lose you because the industry needs you. So do it, right? Um, if you can't do it, there's ways to deal with burnout without leaving your job and your work, right? So burnout's a big one. 
burnout's a big one. And like, to your point, it's not, you know, it's not like me, Kamesh, the cannabis career coach going to solve burnout, right? This is a huge social problem. You know, it's, it's, it's across industries. It's, it's all of us, um, whether you're a fortune 500 or your startup, you know, cannabis, um, and everything in between burnout is an issue, um, as a culture, but I'm a glass half full guy. I think you could solve it in, in general, <laughs> in cannabis, just in general. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think certainly we know how to solve for it, right? Like it's self-care, it's time management, it's boundaries. Right. And these are some of the things I work on with people. Um, you know, I think sometimes work. people forget though, like the, the leaders, of these companies who are making hard decisions and putting out fires every single day are human. And the, the con constant negativity and the unknown on a regular basis, it, it's taxing. And after a certain amount of time, only natural that some people end up being difficult to work with or, or highly agitated because like we talked about, it's just full of challenges. And when you have to look at the books and make hard decisions, let people go and recognize that if I don't fire X amount of people next month, I can't make payroll. Like, I, I think that's where I think the difference is. Sometimes people forget that this is a new industry that has loaded with obstacles, one of them being finances. And the entrepreneurs here are fighting endless battles on a regular basis that it is extremely taxing. Totally. I think that's such an important point. I'm so glad you made it. And I, I'm going to take that one with me and make sure I'm I'm bringing that into conversations because that's really important. There's not a lot of empathy right now in the world for, for cannabis founders. Oh, and, and with <laughs> the cannabis stocks, like in the, with the cannabis stocks in the dumps, we see it all the time on the internet. People are like, well, this so-and-so CEO said this. And it's like, well, they want to believe that federal change will happen. And they're hopeful that this will yeah. happen. And they're being told all these things. But like, I mean, unless it happens, there's in the dark as everyone else. And I always wonder is if some of the people from outside industry that have come into this industry with extremely, extremely impressive backgrounds and solid skills that are struggling mightily, it's not an, like a, a negative mark on them. It could be the opportunity and the role that they got into. And I'm fearful that the industry will push them out or they'll decide, hey, I had a cushy Fortune 500 job. I was a C-suite executive. I tried to come in and institute change and make my legacy here, but this is just like, not the world I want. And I believe that some of those individuals would benefit, excuse me, the industry would benefit by having those individuals here for the long term. And I'm fearful that they'll get pushed out. Do you feel that way at all that some of these individuals might end up taking uh, a different route in the future that are critical for the success of the industry? Well, I, yeah. So another good, good topic. I've seen a lot of people leave a hundred percent. I've hired a lot of those people and I've seen them leave and they've sent me nice notes when they did saying, sorry, I couldn't hack it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, but like, do we need their leadership? What I would rather see us do is train our own and educate our own and develop our own. Like, you know, obviously like, you know, Fortune 500, Fortune 100, even smaller startups that have a budget are doing a ton of learning and development, right? And internal coaching. And like, that's where I'd love to see Kamesh can go. I would love to see in three, four, five years, I've got like teams who are working inside cannabis companies talking to you two and others about like, how's it going? How can I support you? Let's talk about time management. Let's talk about mental health. Let's talk about team dynamics. Let's talk about all the things, right? Because that's what we have in 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 companies that are 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 really high performing and are at scale. So like I so like, yeah, so I'm not as concerned about losing the big executives who I hear you, they, they're coming with all that inside. They know all that stuff that our folks don't know because most of them started from the ground up um, and, and didn't know what they were doing. 
but I'm not, I'm not so worried uh, about that. I think that, I think that if people have cannabis DNA and they have a real reason to be in the industry, then they stay in the industry. And those are the kinds of people that we need. And more so than we need sort of, again, even, even a fancy tech exec, uh, maybe, you know, who, who knows a lot of things from tech. Well, I don't know. Do we want to be tech? Not sure. Tech, I don't, I, I certainly want to, uh, I want an industry that has a whole lot more heart than tech. Um, and I want an industry that that's built, I'm, I'm throwing daggers right now, but um, I want our impact, you know, on humanity to be, to be, um, to be pretty significant. I, I really truly believe in the healing power of this plant. And I think that if we, if we scale this industry properly, we can heal a lot of people and we can get a lot of people off of opioids and, and, and alcohol and a lot of different things. Like, I, I really feel like we can, we can effectuate a big change and make money in the meantime. Right. Make money for the people who are in the right. Me, you, all the ancillary folk and all the operators and all the investors. Right. So that's my grand vision. Um, that's my grand vision, ultimately. And I'm not, you know, I'm not as worried about the the execs. I think they'll come back too, Brian. They'll come back when we have an industry that's sort of ready for them uh, to step into, so, so to speak. After we build it, uh, they will come. Yeah. Yeah. What's the most expensive lesson you've ever learned? Ooh, the most expensive lesson. I had to get an MBA to learn Excel. Um, does that count? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the one that that comes off the top of my off the top of my head. I'm like, what? What did I learn in B school? Because you know, like I, when I when I pay every month to Sally Mae my my B school loan, um, I think I think that was it. How about you? Honestly, the most expensive lesson I ever learned was that recognizing that unless Kellen and I are directly attached to the success of a certain project and we are the ones pulling the wagon, it's never going to move at the same speed and the same expectation that the two of us have. I think we have a very high hurdle for for success of what we want to accomplish and that if people are not moving at that same pace and not communicating at the same necessary speed, I think that things just haven't worked out for us and I'm not going to name any names or why, but uh, I think that is one of the most fortunate lessons that Kellen and I've had together. And I'm grateful that him and I see eye to eye on that because that is a culture DNA aspect that is hard to know unless you're in it together. Yeah, totally. It's really beautiful that you two have such a, such an obviously like strong and resilient partnership. That's really nice. Maybe a little maniacs in us, but Hey, yeah. Turns out crazy people hang out with crazy people. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, but you're like the same kind of crazy, right? Uh, yeah, thankfully, thankfully, yeah, thankfully, yeah. thankfully. Uh, Otherwise, yeah, it'd be like a, this guy. This yeah. guy, this guy is crazy. This guy <laughs> is crazy. <laughs> so, like, are you all like growing your team? Do you have like aspirin? Because like ta- you were talking, start talking about like working with other people and how that gets done and where those things fall apart. And like, I'm always fascinated by that. So for your, and I hope it's, I'm turning the table on you a little bit. No, no, this, this is this <laughs> is not this is not usually I'm a turn. Sure. I'm also curious about professional service providers in this industry, right? Like I'm on on my own right now with a very close, you know, Kamesh Can is my company. I'm the founder and CEO. I have an amazing team of, you know, vendors and things like that. I don't have any other full-time employees. I work very closely in the ecosystem with Flower Hire because that's where I came from. I'm also building relationships with the other leading uh, recruiters and talent acquisition firms and human capital management firms, the, the, the payroll providers, the PEOs. Like I'm building that ecosystem. Um, but I was just curious for you all, sort of how you see yourself fitting into the ecosystem and 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 that kind of thing, just because I don't know much about it. 
we need certain types of people with personalities yeah. that fit the need. Um, it's very difficult to achieve some of the aspects that we're looking to achieve. And you need to have a certain mindset where, oh, someone else will do this or this is someone else's job. That's not how that works, especially in this industry. You have to figure out every single day what is unknown and figure out a way to push it forward and bring it every single day. And a lot of times that's a hard skill to develop unless it's 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 more of a mentality. And I think you described it personally perfectly with the personality aspect. And that was one that I think a lesson that I learned the hard way was that there's certain people who say certain things, but they can't back it up with their actions. And you should take them for what they're doing, not as much as what they're saying. Yeah. And I think that the other stark issue in this industry from like a growth perspective, right? If you look at like read any entrepreneur book or look at any successful startup, they always talk about like the right hires when you're at certain levels of a company. And I think like what Brian just said, like we require in order like someone to join the team and help us achieve the goals that we're looking to achieve. It, it is a specific type of individual. And really? unfortunately, unfortunately, that individual typically comes with a lot of education and credentials. And then they have certain expectations from a salary perspective. Right. And then they also look at the, the industry. So it just becomes a really hard sell to like the individuals that are going to be the right fits. So it's, it's more of a really, we're playing a very long patience game, right? Because yeah, go ahead. Personality, Brian. but the personality is clear, right? And like that's the one difference now is that like that's my favorite part of conversations like this is that like when you meet someone like yourself, you know right away, like you're different, you're not like the other people, you fit into the group. And that's what kind of gives us the energy and like the fun of the conversations because you recognize the same kind of I'm not gonna use the word negatively, but it's a positive, the crazy, right? collectively that we have in order to figure out how to do this on a regular basis. And no one is going to tell you how to do it. And it doesn't matter how many times people say no, or that's stupid, or that's not going to work. It doesn't matter. At, at the end of the day, it's your responsibility to pick it up and to push the ball forward every single day. And no one feels bad for you. You can cry for 20 minutes on the sideline, which I do regularly. And then say, hey, time to get back in there. Let's do this. I love it. I love it. I love it. Crying is crying is self-care, Brian. Just yeah, like, yeah, crying is self-care. Also, you're the you're the first one to ask us one of those questions back yeah, in return, yeah. by the way. Really? <laughs> it's incredible. Like, yeah, inc literally first one. 200 episodes. <laughs> it's like, uh, do I just ask a question back? Like, do I answer this? <laughs> I, know, yeah. I was like, whoa, <laughs> wild card. I was like, I didn't see I that on the sheet. We should do another episode where I actually ask you all the questions I want to know about you. <laughs> we'll have to talk around and all those things. So I got a few more questions. Dream smoking session, three people dead or alive. Oh my God, that is, oh God, that's such a hard question. I can't believe you asked me that. I'm so unprepared. Oh my God. Who would I want to smoke with? Three people? Dead or alive. Oof. I de well, for, I mean, like, I definitely want to smoke a joint with Mahatma Gandhi. There's no doubt about that. I mean, are you kidding me? Um, they're probably all going to be like civil rights leaders. Um, there's a Jewish female socialist named Emma Goldman, who I think would be like just a great sash. You know what I mean? Like, like I would just learn a lot and and uh and and hear a lot. Um ah, who else? Oh my gosh, number three. I mean, uh oh God. I mean, yeah, I mean I'm I'm coming up with with also, you know, sort of civil rights leaders, you know, like a Martin Luther King. Whatever right? comes to mind, yeah. That's that's I mean it, it sounds a little cliche, right? But it's true. Like those are the people, the the people who change society in meaningful big ways, right? Like, because I think cannabis has the potential to change society in a big, meaningful way. 
And I have not lost my, when you talk about, I talk about this with my, my, my clients, what's your why, right? And that's not a me concept. Lots of great coaches have written about what's your, I think there's a book called what's your why. I think it's, um, uh, Simon, um, yeah, Yeah. it's a good book. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. No, but like, right. So what's your why? There's a lot like in the ethos uh, in, in the water on, on that question, but it's the, it's an important question. It's the question, right? If you're a talented person, if you're a, an educated person, if you're a person who, you know, thinks deeply about, about your life and your work and, and you know that it's ultimately more about sort of the contribution that you make than, than what's showing up on your, you know, online bank statement or what's parked in your, you know, driveway um, or the place you spend your Christmas holiday. Like if, if it's more than that for you, then you need to ask yourself why. And so for me, and I say this for my cannabis leaders too, like if you, if, if you're at a point, we, you know, we started talking conversation about burnout. If you're at a point where it isn't in your why anymore, where you're like, I've just seen too much, too much has happened. I just don't care anymore what happens. It's time to go. You know, it's time to go because, because you're not doing your best work and your, your energy isn't in the right place and you can't, you're rubbing bone on bone. Like there's nothing there. You can't create from that. So, you know, if the metaphor of the plant of planting a seed and growing and, and, and life and expansion and healing is, is sort of what keeps us inspired, you have to think about yourself in the same way. Uh, yeah, think about yourself in the same way. So I still believe in the power of this plant. I still believe that it can bring about really deep, wide healing uh, on a lot of levels. I also still believe, although it has been a very, very challenging and circuitous uh, journey that the social equity aspect of this of this uh, industry, the idea of wealth generation for communities of color that have been impacted by the drug war, I still believe that there is a way for us to accomplish that. And what an incredible thing it would be if we did that, right? Like Amen. how Amen. awesome would it be if we were like, holy, 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 we were able to like pull this plant from like the depths of demonization through destigmatization to popularization, <laughs> made a bunch of money in the meantime, and we're able to bring some of that money to help communities of color get reparations and get their money back from how they were impacted, you know, uh, by the American story of of oppression and and the drug war, racism and, and slavery and the drug war, right? So like, I come from those big, deep places. And that's my why. And so I'm, I'm still I'm still kind of a true believer, right? So Kellen, you said you're like glass half full. I'm like, I'm there with you. Uh, and yeah, so that's, anyway, I'm gonna get, get off my soapbox there in a minute. But. I love it. When you got started in your journey with cannabis, what did you get right? And most importantly, what did you get wrong? Oof, great question. I wanna add that to my coaching questions. That's a really good one. You're like, right, you're right where I'm at. We're, we're, uh, we were meant to, meant to be friends and colleagues. That's a good question. So where do I get right? I, I think this thing about the why I got right. I think that um, being in this, you know, my little bit about, you know, I, I told you a little bit there about my back journey, but like when I, I was in uh, natural health and wellness, I was a publisher of a, a magazine and an online marketing company. Um, that was my first entrepreneurial endeavor. Um, and through that experience, one of my biggest advertisers, my back page advertiser was a CBD company. And the process by which that happened, where he approached me and said, I want to advertise my CBD. And this was 2017. And I was like, oh my God, we're going to get arrested. Like, 
<laughs> like I, like I had, I knew nothing. I knew nothing. I had not smoked weed since that, you know, that like that unfortunate bong rip at that, you know, party at GW, right? Like I hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't touched the plant. I had no idea, you know, what it did or how it functioned or anything like that. I had no idea we had a legal market in California and other places. I mean, I was just like a mom. I was a, a, a mom and I, I didn't know anything about it. So he really started me down the education um, to learning about this plan, understanding what the what the industry was going to be, what the potential was. Um, and then when I fit when I found out and I was like, oh my God, this is gonna be like a billion dollar industry. Like this plant that heals people is going to be a billion dollar industry. Like this just, you know, I, I remember just walking around for like a month just with my like couldn't believe that this was the case. So I decided that I wanted to come in. And at the same time, my husband at the time was in law school and he was learning about mass incarceration and overpopulation in the prison system. And Philadelphia was suing the city of Philadelphia, or I'm sorry, yeah, the city of Philadelphia was suing the prison system for overcrowding. And he read a book by an incredible woman and, um, and civil rights leader, Michelle Alexander. She wrote a book called The New Jim Crow which became sort of like the the tome, if you will, or the foundation of the mass incarceration movement, right? That we have an overcrowding problem in this country, that most of the people who are in jail are, are black and brown men uh, that were imprisoned during the drug war. So he was coming to all these realizations at the same time that I was coming to these realizations about holistic health and wellness and how it could help. And when I put those two things together, I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And uh, the answer, I don't even know what the question was, but that was the story. So, so I think I got it right that I know that I knew why I came in and here I am five, six years later, and I'm still like, that's why I'm here. I still believe we got that. There's like an incredible thing that's happening here. I still can't believe how many more States have legalized in the last five years. Like it's, it's crazy. Um, so I still believe in it. So that part I got right. What did I get wrong? Oh, that I thought it was going to be fast. <laughs> that I thought we were going to be able to do it. It's been a decade for Colorado's legal market almost now. I think we're coming up on a decade here in January. For New York also. Oh, I thought it was going to be quick. I thought the money was going to be quick. I thought we'd be rolling in it by now, people. All of us. Uh, I thought federal legality was going to be totally a done deal. You know, I just did. I didn't know. I didn't understand how complex this industry is really, really like, this is really complex endeavor that we're undertaking. The way that we have stood this industry up in the face of federal illegality, like no one has ever done that before. We had not like, no, this is crazy. So I don't think I really understood that. You know, like I was just like, yeah, it's federally illegal, but like you can go buy it. So it's not, but like, no, it still is. And it's a big problem. And I continue to be faced with how much I don't know. Like the fact that now I am a cannabis business owner. And so banking has become an issue for me. Even though I am an ancillary business, who the heck knew that I was going to start getting called up by a big bank who I won't name, who I've been banking with for many, many years. We can shame them. Yeah. Okay. So who now... <laughs> I'm not going to because no, it's okay. the bankers are good. People. It's, it's just the three. Like, it's just the three. I don't of want us, any problems. <laughs> well, and they're really good people. Like my bankers and my of course, they're great. People. Except for the fact that they're giving you a hard time because you're not a non-plant touching business. 
they are giving me a really hard time. And it is really aggravating and agitating because I am like, I am a freaking women solo. I'm a woman solopreneur in the hardest freaking industry that has ever lived. <laughs> and like, I am out here doing this and like doing pretty well for myself, frankly. And you're trying to make that harder for me. Yeah. And I know that and we all feel that way. You know, we all feel that way. So that's, that's really, that's that part. All right. Prediction time. Kamesh, looking ahead, how do you see the role of leadership evolving in the cannabis industry? And what skills do you believe will be in most demand in five years from now? In five years? Oh my gosh. Who even knows? Five years is too far. Five Two years? years? Two years? I, mean, I don't know because think about it. Like, what if we get federal legality this year or next year? Like, major breaking news? Like major, major breaking news. Like, what if that happens? No, that would be, we don't have any idea. And I like, and I know everybody, look, I can name you 10 people who have told me this is exactly what's going to happen if federal legality came ash. I'm going to tell you, no, listen, listen. Like, I know that you all think that you know, but I am truly convinced that we don't know. And that there are so many different ways that this could unfold. And there's so many stakeholders and we don't really know whose voices are going to be the loudest. And we don't know who's going to be the most organized. And we don't know who's going to, well, we know who's going to come with the most resources, which is all the bigs. They're right? ready here. We know they're all here with their bigs, right? And they're, and so, so the bigs are all here, but like who of the bigs is going to be bigger, biggest? And is there going to be some type of a social movement that subverts that? You know, I don't know, right? Is there going to be, could could there be some kind of a political sea change where, where you know, all of a sudden, again, the, the advocacy and the sort of like grassroots, you know, movement has a real impact and, and starts to have a real voice, which it really hasn't, unfortunately. I mean, the MRTA, one example of where we did get a lot of what we wanted, but then unfortunately in implementation, it all fell apart. And this whole thing with like Canny and Daphne and like, is it, as we all know, like a complete disaster. So it's like, because right. And the reason I won't answer the, the reason I answer the question this way is because if you asked me a year ago, what I thought was going to happen in New York, well, I know what I thought was going to happen a year ago in New York, because I made a lot of best laid plans. And so did you two, I'm sure about what you thought was going to happen in New York and the kind of, right, what was going to come back to us and how that market was going to open and all the opportunity. And that didn't happen uh, because, so I just think there's too many unknowns. And I, if you want to say, what will the skills be? The skills will always be, will always be around leadership, leadership, which goes back to resilience. It will always be about people who are able to be super resilient, and bring themselves back to the table over and over and over again with focus, with clarity, with maturity, with values, like that's what it's going to take. And that's what companies are going to look for. Because the longer this goes on, the way it, if it, if it goes on the way it has, the industry is going to continue to get a, a, a bad reputation. Like you've already sort of mentioned about kind of like how the challenges of getting good talent right? That there's like some, some reputational issues around that. So they will continue to sort of spin out in that way. And I think that what, that in order to get the industry moving in the right direction, companies are going to continue to look for people who have true leadership skills and true leadership abilities and have a strong purpose, have a strong connection to what they're doing and are in it for the long, the long, again, that cannabis DNA stuff sort of comes back to that for me. Well said. Kellen, 
I'm going to say the uh, agility and the ability to learn, right? I agree with everything that Karen said, and, um, but I th- do think that, especially with like everything that's happening outside of cannabis, just from like uh, a seismic shift in with AI and all these other new tools that are available, it's going to completely change just any work environment. And so like your ability to just be able to take on new skills, right? And learn new things quickly, I think it's going to be the most valuable trait to have, especially in the cannabis industry already right now. I mean, everything's changing. You don't even know if federal legality is going to happen ever, right? Like all these different conversations. So you're constantly having to learn and constantly having to adapt to the ever-changing quicksand environment that is cannabis, you know? Um, What do you think, Brian? I think that was really well said. And I think my answer is going to be not not very popular, but I think it's the ability to make hard decisions, maybe the non-popular ones, because I think the current construct of the way the cannabis game is currently played is going to evolve, as his game said perfectly. And I think leaders are going to have to make difficult decisions when the game evolves, whether or not to sell out, to redo their business. And I think that as we evolve as an industry, understanding when that time comes to make that hard decision is going to be a critical moment for the companies that successfully move to the next direction and the ones that position themselves for failure because when the big businesses come in and have the resources and the infrastructure that could alter the current construct of the game i think being able to have the foresight to recognize that and then position your company to be successful in the future is going to involve a very self-aware leader that i'm not sure everyone currently uh possesses yeah yeah i i want to jump on in on that because like when you really come, when it really, I agree with you. And I think that when it comes down to it, and this sort of comes back to my mantra about like cannabis needs leaders and those leaders need support, right? Those leaders need training. Those leaders need X, Y, and Z. Because I think honestly, one of the places that I I do, I will say this, I, I have sometimes said to people, fire your CFO, hire a chief people officer, right? <laughs> like it's, 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 it's like, you know, it's broad strokes. It's silly. Obviously, no one's going to fire their CFO. You know, who who would talk to the tax people? Um, anyway, <laughs> taxes. We don't pay taxes. <laughs> Not everyone. <laughs> who, who would run away from from the tax people? Are we supposed to pay taxes? <laughs> Some MSOs don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> who, would, who would who would present all those decks that nobody reads? Um, uh, anyway, I'm being very flip because we're coming to the end here. I'm, I'm probably, I'm anyway, I'm probably talking, talking too much, but like you get the point, right? Like there are, ask, ask Harvard Business School, ask Deloitte, ask anybody. There's very clear documentation about the importance of investing in people and the cost of turnover. Turnover is an enormous problem in this industry. We have got to address it. And I am trying to do my small part, <laughs> my small part in, in coaching people one-on-one, because that's what I'm doing right now. Most, most of my work, although I'm doing some business-to-business consulting with some of the academic uh, institutions in the space who are trying to figure out how can they create curriculum that matches up to the job market. And that's been really fun. And I'm, I'm excited for all those different folks in the space and how that's coming together. But like most of my work is on the individual level, but I hope that we will get to a point, as I said, that these companies will really start to take talent seriously. Because when those big boys come in, so to speak, it's going to be about who's on your team. It's going to be about the talent and it's going to be about what's in the IP that those people on your team have. And so, you know, they're going to come in and try to poach your best people. 
So, you know, nurture them, make them loyal, make them feel important, make them feel like they matter and move your company forward in the meantime. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I have to kind of, I gotta, as we're coming to the end here, I got to kind of lead it, leave it with a, with a plug for, for human capital management, for investing in human capital management, for the importance of not saying when you're pulling out the PL and going, okay, we've got to cut, not, not, not cutting all your human, human resources people. Right. Uh, keep keep some of those folks in the room. Love it. So Kamesh, for our listeners, they want to get in touch, they want to learn more and they want to get some coaching. Where can I find you? Oh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn, baby. LinkedIn's the place. Um, find me on LinkedIn and then I'll send you the other web stuff, but mostly LinkedIn. That's where I like to talk with people. I like to hear what folks are up to. I really like to look at people and what they're up to and what they're doing, you know, before we get on the call. That helps me so much to contextualize and have a sense. Everybody has their own cannabis leadership journey, right? Everybody's is unique. There isn't one story. No, it's and that's part of why I'm fascinated by it, why I'm inspired by it. Um, and so I really encourage folks like if this resonates for you, if you like me, if you think I'm funny or crazy or whatever you think I am, but you think I might be of help, you know, or you've got that friend colleague who's just blowing up your phone because like they're losing their minds, be like, hey, maybe you should talk to Kman. <laughs> awesome. We'll link it all up in the show notes. Thanks for taking the time. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. Thank you both so much. This was awesome. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast, The Talking Hedge, and newest member on Podcon X. So come on over and check out The Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events, all that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at The Talking Hedge. You can find me at thetalkinghedgepodcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out.